Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's mentally yours, from Ellen and Yvette. A podcast on your mental health you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours, mentally yours. So I've been a clinical psychologist for 14 years and trained for three years before that. I've worked in the NHS that entire time. Um, so I trained in Glasgow and did a variety of placements during my training, including asylum seekers and brain injury. And since that time, I've worked in a range of services, all in Scotland in different locations, in maternity services, children's mental health, adult clinical health, um, adult mental health, and brain injury as well, or neuropsychology. So I've worked in a range of settings over the last 14 years. And do you specialise in a particular area now, or have you sort of moved away from that? No, I still I still work in NHS. At the moment, um, I work in neuropsychology, so it's with people who have any neurological condition or um, a brain injury, and I work with both kind of the impact of that on their brain and rehabilitation, but also the impact of that on their mental health. How's that all been affected during the pandemic, out of interest? Uh, do you mean the actual services or the mental health of people? Oh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll get on to the mental health of people later, <laughs> yeah. I think. But I mean, just sort of your day-to-day sort of work, working life. Uh, yeah, well, uh, hugely, because we still are not allowed to have face-to-face contact in the hospital. So we have transformed our entire service to online and that works great sometimes and it's really helpful for people because they don't have to travel we live in quite a rural area so although the services are the city some people have to travel quite a long way so they don't have to travel anymore so that's great for them but obviously you also have the barriers of technology so some people find getting online more difficult they find it more stressful having to do the online appointments so there's kind of pros and cons but it's been a a huge change for for our NHS service certainly. Mm. So what kind of things might people be coming to you with at the moment? At the moment in the NHS, um, I guess I predominantly see people with a brain injury. So it would be the impact of that. And obviously at the moment, I think a lot of the services aren't running. So there's increased isolation, increased stress, increased um 
mental health difficulties as a result of not being able to get the input they require and maybe not progress into the same way they, they would like to normally. So it's the same things they're coming into the service with, but we're probably seeing a slightly different pattern of what's emerging because of it. Mm. We'll move on to your brilliant uh, book and your drawings just in a sec, I promise. Yeah, but no I problem. mean, it's really great to um, to chat to an expert and, and sort of hear your side on all this. What are your thoughts on how the government sort of dealt with the pandemic in terms of the health service? And what do you think they could do sort of to improve services for men- people with them um, kind of struggling with mental health issues? Uh, I mean, I think that's difficult because it's so different across every region it's so different across Scotland and England we have a separate health service in Scotland to England so we operate very differently I mean most services have kept running in our area so and we also have in our own area set up a new service which is looks at psychological service or psychological input for anybody who's been affected by COVID so there's been a lot of innovation as a result of it in the NHS and the service is ongoing so it's very difficult to comment on it from a general perspective because it's so different across every service and every region but Mm -hmm. certainly I think the, the impact on the NHS has led to a lot of innovation. So a lot of innovation with technology, a lot of innovation with services, a lot of rethinking about how we run services. And that's not all bad. A lot of that will have a really good outcome for people, for example, you know, not having to travel to appointments. Some people really like that, have an opportunity to have an online appointment. So I think a lot of the innovation that's come out of it will be really good long term. Um, but obviously, there is in some areas a lack of services or services have, are not available to the same extent, which is having an impact on people. Mm. But it's very different across different areas. Yeah, it's really interesting to, that you said about sort of the different services in Scotland, because I never really thought about that a great deal. Um, is it sort of, are there quite a few other differences in the way that um, people are served when they sort of have mental health issues? There's variation across every area in terms of what mental health input is available. And I think that's why it's always important to check in your local area what's available to you. And in Scotland and England, yes, there probably are differences, but I see there's also differences within regions in England as well. Let's move on now to the main thing that we're sort of chatting about, um, which is your lovely book. But also, I mean, your incredible social media presence and Brian the Brain. So for those that don't know, um, you draw these brilliant... um, should I call them cartoons or drawings or what? what you can do you call, call them whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> so basically, you <laughs> I won't get insulted whether you call them. Badly drawn brains is fine. <laughs> you call, you, know, you draw these brilliant sort of Brian the brains, and they've um, really sort of gone viral on social media, haven't they? Um, mm-hmm. And they sort of they really explain a lot of stuff around um, mental health, and they've got really good sort of tips, um, and they're really just kind of cute to look at. Um, so when did that also? When did you come up with that? Um, Well, I've always drawn as part of my clinical sessions. So people would come into a session, they go away with probably a scribble bit of NHS scrap paper with drawings on it. And then they come back the next week, often with the same drawing with them. And then we'd scribble a little bit more in it. And and I never really thought about taking any further than that. It's always been something I've just done to kind of illustrate what we've been talking about. And also so the person has it with them during the week or two weeks until I see them again. And it kind of, I came on social media really kind of with the idea of I really wanted to kind of promote good evidence-based mental health. And then I bought a new iPad and I bought a pen, um, which my husband told me not to buy, but I'm really glad I did because it's resulted in the book. Um, and, uh, and I thought, I actually started thinking, well, I could 
well, initially I started doing better drawings for the people I was seeing because I thought I can give them what's not a scrappy drawing. I can give them a nice drawing to take away with them. And then I thought, well, actually more people can benefit from this. I could, you know, the, it's the same things coming up with people again. There's so many similarities in people's presentations. Obviously there's, you know, differences across people, but there's the same issues coming up about Again, I thought more people could benefit from that. So I started drawing them out and putting them on Instagram. And really, that was kind of the, you know, just what I knew how to do. So I thought, well, I'll put them on Instagram and see what the pickup is and see if people enjoy them. And obviously, like you say, they have taken off. And really, Brian the Brain is kind of the idea that, you know, we internalize so much of what's going on for us and we kind of see it as part of us but actually it's kind of externalizing saying well this is how the brain works this is how mental health works it's about kind of being human and we all have a brain so we can all identify with the brain rather than it being kind of individual and something personal about you which obviously it is but at the same time there are commonalities in that as well Mm. yeah they're great I really love them because they're they're fun and they're sort of easy to digest and they're sort of simple but they sort of give you something to think about as well how do you come up with a new one um randomness to be totally honest um, quite often I'll read something um, or I'll have a thought during the day or I've seen somebody and they'll have spoken about a particular thing and it'll just kind of come into my head oh there's something I could draw um, so I don't really kind of plan it out I just kind of come up with an idea quite often like at random points in the shower or when I come home from work in the car so it's really kind of is based or and actually a few times I've seen people do posts on social media and I've picked up and those thought well that's a really nice thing you can actually draw that and the image just comes to my head so there's not really a plan and it's quite random kind of based on what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis and also when I find the time because I'm quite busy so it's uh, if the idea happens to happen at a time when I have enough time to draw it that's when it happens. So for those um, listeners who haven't actually seen them because uh, obviously this is a podcast could you describe um, kind of a typical typical one just for listeners? Yeah, sure. So I guess they are quite kind of cartoonish, like you described them. And quite often I'll have the character Brian the Brain. And that actually came from my mistyping to my supervisor at one point. Um, Brian, I used to call him Brain all the time. So that's where the character Brian the Brain came from. And Brian will often be doing something. So for example, one of them will be trying to illustrate the anatomy of anxiety and Brian will be in the middle with um, detecting a threat in his brain and then it has arrows round to all the parts in his body that it affects so we've got a stomach churning with butterflies coming from it who's looking a little bit stressed a heart running as fast as it can um, legs um, shaking and sweating and then a, a weight on your chest so it's a kind of real visual representation of that anxiety response but it's also based on the science as well and based on the evidence so everything I do will be based on kind of psychological theory models and the best evidence for mental health. Mm. And they work so well um, on things like Instagram don't they because they're they're really cute and they're sort of shareable. Were you yeah. um, surprised when you sort of grew such a big following or were you sort of really trying to post very regularly and and plan it? Well, um, my social med- media technique, the only one I have is randomness, <laughs> which is basically when the ideas align with time and align with kind of the will to go on and not being absolutely exhausted. Because I've got two kids as well and I also work across the NHS and the university. So, so no, I didn't have any grand plans to kind of um, grow a, a big Instagram following. I just wanted to really kind of put these out there to help people with kind of really good quality evidence-based information, but also making it accessible and meaningful in a kind of illustration form and having seen that work with people I was working with I thought well you know people might like it so if I'm totally honest it's taken me by a huge surprise how popular it's been um you know things get shared um a recent drawing I did which was about why we find it difficult 
I think just a couple of days ago, oh, got shared over 3,000 times. So, you know, it's it's great to see that and people engaging with it and just find it helpful. And, and they get back to me and say things like, oh, I used this to explain to somebody, you know, I didn't have the words to explain how I was feeling, but I used your drawing to explain how I was feeling. And that really, for me, makes it worthwhile. So, yeah, my social media techniques, I'm sorry, you can't learn from it because it is totally randomness, basically. It's great though, because like you said, I think a lot of the time people can struggle to um, to talk about mental health stuff or just something that they might be experiencing. So sharing something like that is great. What kind of messages have you been getting from your following? Because you've got thousands and thousands, haven't you? I think it was about 72,000 last time. I yeah, I think, I think it went up to 74,000 um, in the last week at some point. Amazing. So. Um, do you get sort of bombarded with messages um, from people? Um, and how do you how do you manage that? Um, I, I mean, I, I had a thing with social media where I like to try and respond to everybody. But if I'm honest, it's kind of got beyond that point. I just can't do it. Mm. Um, I do get a lot of very nice messages. That's the main um, theme of the messages I get. I get people saying, like I said, thank you. I've used this to explain it. Or people saying, thank you. I find it really helpful. Um, and just understanding what was going on for me. Or you just normalized how I was feeling today. A lot of people in my last post said, oh, I really needed to read that today. That was so helpful. Just what I needed at this point. I guess it's kind of captured that collective mood. Um, I So that's probably the main thrust of what I get. And the messages I absolutely love are the ones where um, it's used in the NHS. So my drawings were used a lot in wellbeing centres during the pandemic. There's one nurse who got in touch with me just a couple of weeks ago and every week she draws one of my drawings onto a flip chart at the doorway of her ward and she puts a little message in it and I just that's the kind of thing I absolutely love and I get quite a lot of messages like that and and I do like so NHS charity organizations I quite often give free use of my drawings too so they can use them in you know in their wards their well-being centers etc so that's that's probably the main thrust of the the messages I get yeah it's brilliant I mean it's gone well beyond social media hasn't it your your drawings um you've you've had um is it charities kind of approach you to to draw for them as well um you've done all sorts of things yeah absolutely so I've done some drawings for the princess trust and I've done some drawings for well the Samaritans in India use my drawings to in schools and um and colleges in in Mumbai I believe it was and I also have done drawings for teachers in Scotland so they're used in a lot of different ways it's not just on social media there's using a lot of information out there and I say there's a, a range of I know I've given I do keep a record if you have given permission to but there's a range of leaflets and information sheets and and patient education programs in NHS who now use my drawings so it's absolutely wonderful if people can use them that way that's kind of the whole point of it makes it worthwhile for me yeah absolutely um, and now you've got a book out um, a toolkit kit for modern life um, tell us about how that all came about uh, so I was very lucky I was approached last year by a publisher who asked if I wanted to do a book and at that point I couldn't think of anything worse than that to be totally honest because I was doing exams at the time for a further qualification so I kind of said well yes it's I'd love to write a book it's obviously something that you know was so exciting the idea of it but I just couldn't see I could fit it into my life at that point so um, but spoke to them again in September and talked about what the book would look like and what it would be about and I was really keen on the idea of that mental health being something that we don't just look after when it goes wrong or we don't just think about when it goes wrong I wanted it to be something that people it's kind of central to people's lives and they think about all the time and to keep it right or keep it working well and also when it does go wrong not seeing that as something 
stigmatized and are terrible about themselves, but recognizing that it's human. We can all experience this difference in our mental health. So the idea that we came up with was about looking after your mental health proactively rather than kind of be reactive to it and putting the evidence-based techniques that I use in mental health treatment into images and chapters so that people can access them and use them in their everyday lives. Yes. I mean, you've got, so it's 53 ways to look after your mind, um, which, I mean, during these sort of difficult times, um, it's incredibly useful actually to have this little handbook with these sort of jolly drawings, but lots of really good advice. Um, What kind of response have you had to it? I've had a hugely positive response. At the moment, it's uh, sold out everywhere but Amazon. So that's kind of taken me by surprise. Um, and I've had, I mean, every day there's people kind of messaging about the book. And putting, the thing I love most is people putting pictures up on social media with um, with their dogs or with their children or with themselves and just seeing how they're using it. And I've seen images of people scribbling over the book, which is kind of what it's meant for. You're meant to kind of use it in your own life and use it to understand yourself and your own mental health. So I had a hugely positive response to it. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really nice so my, the only thing that's stressing me out is I can't respond to everybody because I just don't have time so but apart from that it's been absolutely lovely. I mean mental health is such a sort of a broad huge topic how did you decide what to put into the book? Yeah that's a great question um, I guess what I drew on was I've been a clinical psychologist for 14 years now and the main themes that come up again and again for people so I tried to when I started thinking about what do I want to write a book about I sat and I wrote down the things that people came up with again and again what were the main themes what are the similarities between people's experiences I've worked in a lot of different fields and there's a lot of the same um, experiences that are coming up or the same themes that are coming up so I jotted them all down I big, drew a big diagram of those and start and also what are the things that people go oh that really worked for me so there's um in the book there's a capacity cup and that was something I came up based on a model of kind of stress and psychological well-being for a group that I ran and it was wonderful people would just say I came in uh, you know they came, would come in the door and say you know Emma I was feeling really stressed last week and I just thought of the capacity cup and it's something people really engaged with so it was those things that people really engaged with or kind of felt they were turning points in their life or something that really made a difference for them so I wrote them all down and wrote all the techniques I'd used and kind of put them into a structure and that's really how I kind of came up with what would be in the book. Uh, could you just explain the capacity cup for the listeners, please? Yes, of course. So the capacity cup is the idea that we all have limited emotional capacity. So we've all. So the way I say it is, think of a, your favourite cup. Now, it's only got limited capacity in it, and everything that happens in your life will fill up that cup. So if you've got a lot on, then your cup will be filling up fuller and fuller. And sometimes it fills up very suddenly with a really stressful thing, which takes it right to the top. Or sometimes it can fill up just gradually with incremental stresses throughout your day and even good things fill the cup so everything that's going on fills our cup we have limited emotional capacity and when we're near the top of the cup that's when we start getting more irritable more anxious more stressed because we have less capacity to deal with everything that's in our everyday life there's also the danger that our cup overflows which is when we start becoming upset or distressed and at that kind of full up level a little thing which usually would have minimal impact on your capacity if you were if your capacity cup was emptier, a minimal thing can tip you over the edge. So it's the kind of things where you drop a cup and you have this extreme reaction of you know you've no idea why, but actually it's because you had hardly any capacity to deal with that thing, or you shout at your children because um, for the tiniest thing in the world and you think why on earth did I do that? But it's because you have that 
only that tiny sliver of capacity, you just don't have the capacity to deal with it. And becoming aware of your capacity and managing that proactively is really helpful um, to not only understand why you're reacting in a certain way, but also to keep as much as you can as much as possible in life because life sometimes throws random things at us but keep your capacity in check so you can keep your emotions in check or you know how to deal with them that sounds incredibly um relatable actually i mean yeah especially sort of during the pandemic i've sort of mm-hmm. i think i need to sort of go through that, that myself really. <laughs> just because uh, like the other day I, I it was exactly that i dropped a bowl it was uh-huh. and i ended up sort of crying and i was just and then of course you have that thing of well, this is ridiculous, I'm crying over a bowl. But obviously it was because all the stress of lots of other things had just kind of built up. Absolutely, yeah. That's a, that's a perfect example of when, and then we get quite surprised at responses. And then what we tend to do is beat ourselves up about why we did that. Like, why did I respond to such a silly small thing as a bowl or, you know, a silly little thing like, you know, not getting something in the supermarket? And actually understanding that capacity helps take away that kind of extra edge of, almost beating yourself up for how you responded because then you can make sense of it and think well that's why I responded in that way Mm. what I love about it is it's a very sort of practical way of dealing with your mental health I think you've got exercises in there um you've got the the cute cartoons um do you have any sort of particular favorite section or or bit in there that's a great question so I do like the capacity cup which I've just described because I think that is probably the thing that um, in recent times people have really engaged with well in my work and people will say oh, I love the capacity cup it's just you know and they really kind of you know imagine that and it's a really quick kind of image rather than having to think about all these wordy explanations the other one I really like um, as a drawing is the values tree um, which is a tree which has apples on it which are different values that people might have in their life and it's really about what's important to you in life you only have a limited amount of energy you have a limited amount of time so where do you want to direct that energy and time and you want to direct that energy in doing things which are consistent with your values and that's what's important to you um, or what makes life meaningful to you so it might be seeing friends it might be it, it might be you know saving the environment it could be a whole range of values so I like the values tree but probably why I like it most and I only realized this recently when I was looking through the book is it looks like a Mr. Men Roger Hargreaves drawing and <laughs> And I was totally loved the Mr. Man when I was little. So it's yeah. not just a psychological concept. So it's a bit, a bit of a touch of Roger Hargreaves as well. Yeah, no, me too. It's brilliant. Um, so I know this is a bit sort of jumping the gun since you've literally just got this book out. Yeah. Um, but are there any sort of plans to bring another one out or sort of what are your next sort of big plans or are you just sort of dealing with like literally everything that's going on at the moment well my capacity cup is pretty full at the moment um so we just with all the big stuff and with everything I've been asked to do but also I'm writing lectures and well-being for Aberdeen University at the moment so I'm trying to get those done and I'm also obviously still working in the NHS so my capacity cup is pretty full right now but I absolutely love the process of writing the book and certainly there are discussions around writing more books at the moment so it's just trying to work out how I can make sure I do that without my capacity cup overflowing. Yeah well that sort of leads me on to my last question which is really how do you look after your own mental health as a clinical psychologist because I mean that must be a really stressful job. 
Yeah, it's an absolute great question. And it's something that should be integral to every mental health professional, because obviously we are experiencing, um, or we do experience stress on a regular basis, because even hearing about other people's difficulties makes our own brain stressed. So we need to find really helpful ways to manage that. So one of the, the key ways at work is um, as a professional requirement, I have to have supervision. So that's really talking through these things and working out if there are problems rather than sitting with those problems, working out how we'll solve them and having that kind of supportive environment. At home, I one of the skills I learned, I don't, I don't know if I learned it, but just something I'm very good at is switching off from work. So once I leave work, that's it. And that's been a lot more difficult during the pandemic because I've been having to work from home. But usually when I leave the hospital, and I have been at the hospital throughout the pandemic usually that's me that drive home I switch off and I don't think about it at all I don't check my emails I don't do anything else because you have to keep that contained there's nothing you can do about it when it's outside work and for me as well just just the basics making sure I get if I don't sleep I am incredibly grouchy so prioritizing sleep sometimes at work I think people in the NHS can be terrible at remember to eat and drink and that sounds shocking but it's it's true so you know planning for how you'll do that bringing water with me all the basic things that they might seem small but again they incrementally fill your capacity cup they make you feel bad they make your body feel bad they can impact your mental health so just making sure I do that and going out for walks is a really key thing for me as well getting out in the in the open air in the green space just getting that kind of something to decompress me so I find all those things really helpful yeah I love hearing all this advice again because every time we have guests on I just think yep should be doing that should be doing that quite a lot of the time I forget about it but it's just really good to sort of be reminded about yeah. it and I think that's the thing isn't it you know you can know the theory and, and psychologists are, are, are mental health professionals in general we know all the theory in the world but actually implementing our own lives can be really difficult and it, you, it does it does take sort of extra effort sometimes to remember to do that and sometimes it is my husband will go Emma I think you need to go for a walk so sometimes it you know it, it's not it's everybody has that that difficulty at time remembering to do the things they know work but remembering it is worthwhile to do it Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me, Emma. I really appreciate you taking time out um, during a really sort of busy day with all the stuff you're going on. It's been a pleasure. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.